It's an early October morning, and the air is crisp here in Utah, to say the least. It feels good, though. If you are new to the podcast, welcome, and thank you for listening. Lately, I have been experiencing copious amounts of synchronistic kind of energy experiences uh, where the universe is definitely telling me stuff. (laughs) And I'm listening so clearly now, and I love it. Stephanie and I both, in fact, have been in that space lately, and it feels really, really, really good. I just thought I'd share that with you. Like I said, if you are a new listener, welcome, and the only thing that we ask of our listeners besides millions of dollars funneled into our offshore accounts, but besides that, all we ask is that you share the podcast with someone. Just simply say, hey, you should listen to this podcast. Send them a link, or better yet, just tell them. Oftentimes I just grab people's phones, not like random strangers that I walk past, but people that I know, I grab their phone, and I say, hey, here you go, look, here it is, subscribed, now you can listen anytime you want. So that's it, that's all we ask. Thank you very much for your support, energieslovepodcast.com. So recently, I just wrapped up and finished a six-month-long training with Everyman. It was their Everyman Foundations training. It was an intense, to say the least, six-month-long training that consisted of weekly phone calls, copious amounts of like literature and work that we had to read through. Um, it was just a lot of work. <laughs> but uh, it was incredible. It was amazing. It was an expansive dive into the work that every man provides and offers as well as like myself, surprisingly, which I was hoping for, but uh, I got in spades for sure. So it was a neat, neat experience. We just finished up with a weekend in California, both celebrating as well as doing really, really, really amazing deep work. If you're not familiar with Everyman and if you haven't heard me talk about it before on the podcast, I highly recommend you check it out. You can go to everyman.com. That's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com. At their website, you'll get a good idea of what they do. Um, At the core of it, they really just support men, support men in expanding into their emotions, connecting deeper, all sorts of really beautiful things. So I can't speak highly enough about Everyman, and if you are so inclined, I highly recommend checking them out and going to one of their events, or even better, finding one of their men's groups that undoubtedly is close to you and hopping in. So that's a perfect lead into our guest today. I met Andrew through Everyman. Uh, I was trying to think about it, and I think it was last year when him and I actually met, and I've gotten to know him a little bit over the course of that past year. He was also in the foundations training and he does a lot of work with Everyman. He's part of their team. But at this last weekend, Andrew and I sat down and really got to talk, like face-to-face, connect, talk for the first time. And after about three minutes of listening to him speak, I was like, okay, uh, you definitely have to do the podcast. So we, we made some time and I'm very, very glad that we did. We sat down on the last day and I really got to dive into learn more about Andrew. We had a fascinating conversation. Well, first off, Andrew Kippen is our guest, in case you hadn't figured that out. He is the founder of Subconscious Way. Andrew uses hypnotherapy when he works with clients, as well as a slew of other modalities, including NLP, breathwork, shamanism, Reiki, bioenergetics. He's a coach, He also works directly one-on-one with clients, both in person as well as, you know, over the phone or Skype or whatever. So that's what he does, but that is such a surface-level experience of what he does, and I can't speak highly enough about, like, really sitting in front of the man. He's got some immense power and great energy, and he's so kind. (laughs) Such wonderful, beautiful energy. So go to his website, subconsciousway.com. Check out everything that he offers. Obviously, all the links will be in the show notes. You can find him on social media and everything as well. But for this episode, you just get to sit back and relax and learn about this man. We have a fascinating conversation that I won't even hint at. I'll just let you enjoy. Andrew, I love you, man. Thank you for doing the podcast, taking the time. It was wonderful. And now you folks sit back and relax and enjoy. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is Love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. You promise? I promise I'm awake. It's okay. just been it's been a long morning already. 
Yeah, since four. Yeah. That's just like the nature, though. I hate it. <laughs> you hate the nature? Well, I hate the nature. <laughs> the like, I'm definitely a morning person. I've always been a morning person. I love the morning. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. But sometimes it would be nice to like sleep in. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And sleeping in would be like seven, maybe 7.30. And then I'm like, oh my God. I slept in until 7.30. It was amazing. Do you think you were a Vipassana meditator in another life? No. I think it's like, I don't know what it is. I, my mom's a morning, morning person. Um, I think it's just like the nature of the beast, essentially. Mm. Where for whatever reason, my circadian rhythm is set up that way. And it doesn't matter where I'm at or where. Do you know what I mean? I just have always, always, totally. always been that way. There's a good book called The Power of When. And Power of When. He talks about each of us having a different chronotype. There's like how we, sh how we, uh, what our cycle is during the day. And so the way he, he positions it, he's like, there's, there's four animals. There's a lion, a dolphin, a bear, and something else I forget. But, but it's basically saying like when we were a tribe, there were some people who stayed up late into the night to keep watch. There were some people who woke up early to keep watch. And then there were people who were kind of like normal daytime. And then other people who just had like a random sporadic sleep cycle. Um, so I'm a lion, which means I go to bed at 10, 1030. And I wake up at 6, 630. And I love the morning. Do you remember what the animals were? Like what their, uh, what their time frame would be? Um, I know... I know the dolphin is the one that's kind of like sleeping here and there. Um, my wife is a dolphin. So the optimal for her, they say, is going to bed at 1130 and waking up at 730. But that maybe she also sleeps another time during the day. Um, but it's a really interesting book. You, you know, it's just kind of nice to like see your pattern because I feel like a lot of the world just tells us like, you got to get up early. You know, you got to meditate, you got to exercise, you got to like start your day in the right way. And it's like, some people don't. Yeah. <laughs> some people don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, and so this, this book, I think kind of gave me a lot. Of, I find when you, when you get these resources that kind of say like, here are some archetypes. Then when you find your archetype, it just gives you permission to, to go deeper into it and accept it more. Yeah. Resonate and connect and then just kind of expand into it. Yeah. What's your archetype? For, no, no, not, 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 not that. What do you, I was going to ask, I thought of this question this morning. It was like, whatever at four 30 and it's gone now, but it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want to know what your, your belief is like your deepest core belief in regards to why we're here and what this is all about. Mm. So, you know, as a, as a human, I paradoxically hold multiple beliefs at the same time that make no sense and contradict each other. For sure. Um, so there is definitely a part of me that says, uh, there's no purpose. We're just animals like everything else on the planet, like all the other animals. And, um, you know, we come, we live, we experience stuff, we die. That's it. It's over. Um, there's a, there's a really fun story I'm excited to share right now of another part of me that really likes occult wisdom and kind of esoteric thinking. Um, there's a story that I heard that I, that I like about, you know, at, at one point we were, we were all energetic. We are all energetic beings. Um, and we got enamored with the physical. And when beings were able, energetic beings were able to incarnate, they started to play with, well, okay, I could be a lion, I could be an eagle, I could be a man or a woman, but what if I could be half man, half horse? What if I could be half woman, half fish? And this is where we get all of the mythologies about these um, creatures. And the spirits got so enamored, the energetic beings got so enamored with incarnating and being in the physical that they forgot that they were energetic. And the story of the Old Testament and, and the New Testament is 
there was one spirit that decided he was going to come down and sacrifice himself, forget that he was spirit, and then work towards remembering that he was an energetic being and taking all the other energetic beings with him um, and allowing, if there's any gender to this, I don't think there is, but um, uh, kind of helping the other incarnated beings remember that they are also energetic beings and that the Bible is actually the story of Adam, who was this man who, the spirit who incarnated into Adam and then forgot that he was spirit all the way to Jesus. So that was him reincarnating over and over and over and over again until he got to Jesus and fully remembered that he was God, that he was spirit and energy and just like everything else in the, in the universe. And I love that story. I love that idea. Um, and so there is, there is a part of me that, that um, through my work and through the stories that I've heard also believes that we are spirit. We are energetic beings that just come here. We, you know, in, in the new age, we'd say you make a bunch of soul contracts. You sign up for the lessons that you need to learn to burn off your karma um, or, or win your karma. Um, yeah, work it off. And you come in and, you know, you get a shitty early family life and you get abused and you get um, heartbreak and all these things that shape who you are and help um, help work off your karma. And then, um, you know, we each, we each kind of dance in and out of each other's lives to teach each other lessons, give each other experiences. And then we rinse and repeat. And we've been doing that for hundreds, thousands of years. <clears throat> so what's your core belief out of all of those things? <laughs> um, I think oftentimes, like for me, I have thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts mm. about uh, all sorts of different things. So grasp a hold of something and I'll think about it and I'll sit with it and I'll ponder. And over time, that thought will morph and change and grow and expand or fade. Mm. And another thought will replace it. And eventually, some of those thoughts turn into beliefs. And then those are the things that I use as like my driving forces, the things that I hold dear, the things that I think are most important for me and to me. And those are the ones that tailor how I live my life or my beliefs that uh, at some point were thoughts and ideas that just eventually evolved into that belief. Yeah. I love, um, Abraham Hicks said, a, a belief is just a thought you keep thinking. Um, you know, given, given what I've seen and, and what I have experienced myself, um, I think my, my core belief is that we are, uh, we are more than our bodies. There is a space after, after this life that we do come back. Um, and that, you know, I've, I've met too many people who are, are gifted or who have had experiences for me to think, you know, the, the first piece of me is true. The first piece that was like, Oh, we all just come here. We live, we die. That's it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that's, that was an old belief and, and, um, has shifted, but you know, I have, I have friends who can see spirits. I have done hypnotherapy sessions and past life regressions where I hear stories of my unconscious stories of, um, of past lives of clients. I hear practitioners in my field of hypnotherapy, uh, talking about the life between lives and what, ha you know, doing a session with somebody and consistently being able to take them in between these past lives and there being a consistent experience over hundreds and hundreds of different clients of what that space is like. And so there's a lot of phenomena like that, that, that I think, um, just makes me, you know, makes, has shifted my core belief into that being true. One of the things, <clears throat> one of the things I like about you, Andrew, cause, uh, we got to know each other a little bit better over the last few days and we've known each other for a while, but at least, you know, like I said, a little bit better over the last few days. And one of the things that, I could be way off here, but one of the things that I like about you <laughs> is uh, you seem very balanced in this space of 
these belief systems, these ideas, these thoughts, all this stuff that you uh, practice, that you believe in, that you, from what it sounds like, have really absorbed and, you know, live by. But then I think you also seem very balanced in like reality and the structure of this experience right now in the present moment, you know, our physical bodies, our feet on the ground. Uh, Because I think oftentimes people that get wrapped up into the spiritual realm of energy and consciousness and everything like that, uh, they tend to stay out in that space Mm. and forget about like, oh yeah, this is like a part of that as well. The fact that my physical body is here, I have to do shit with it. I have to deal with, you know, I can't just, (laughs) I can't just disconnect and enjoy um, all of those beautiful things that I can connect to and feel uh, I also have to connect to some of the shit that we go through and not just the shit, but we have good stuff here. Hmm. And so that's what I get from you. Uh, and I may be wrong. Tell me, is that something like you seem very connected to when I say reality, it's not that I disbelieve all the other things as fake or false, but mm-hmm. I think you're very connected to this reality and to this moment and to this experience as well. Yeah. Um, I've got you so fooled. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I certainly am, and I, and I think you know there is there is a tendency within um, religious systems to kind of escape and and use religion and use God and use beliefs as as an escape hatch, and um, you know part of part of what I recognize is that I'm I'm here as a guide for people. I'm here to help people who are in the physical, experiencing physical problems, mental problems, emotional problems, um, get better so that the experiences that they have here on the earthly plane um, are better, are good. Um, and and even, you know, the Buddhist part of me is like, oh, good and bad, let's step out of the wheel of judgment. Um, but there are, there are things... Um, you know, the Buddhists would say there's, there's a skillful way of moving through life. And then there's an unskillful way. And that there's a way that creates less suffering and a way that creates more suffering. And, um, I think for me, I have seen, uh, I've seen a lot of suffering and experienced a lot of it myself. And that, um, the spiritual bypassing of um, like going and doing ayahuasca, going and doing DMT, going and doing Vipassana, going, you know, like this stuff is, is rampant in my community and they're all um, really powerful self-growth tools, but people tend to forget about the integration um, and bringing it back into reality and being like, okay, well, I got this message that I'm supposed to love my mom and my brother even deeper and show up more for them. Um, you know, I had my, uh, I had my dead grandmother show up in a breathwork session and be like, Hey, you really need to take care of your mom. Um, and I try for a little while and then I fall off and then the message comes back around in some other way. And, um, and that's really like, I think part of, um, part of, part of the lesson is, is taking that stuff, the esoteric stuff, the thoughts, the ideas, the insights and bringing them into reality and bringing them into time with you. And over time, you know, continually moving towards this place of like, how can I be better? Um, how can I, how can I love myself as I am and also know that I'm getting better? I'm getting more and more skillful in the way that I show up in the world. Let's use that as a jumping off point. Cause I, I'm sure there's more questions from there. <laughs> it's a big, a big topic. Yeah. They're all big <clears throat> topics. Sometimes I, uh, yeah, sometimes I get lost in them. Right. Yeah. And actually I, I'll, I'll speak to a framework that I've been developing for the past few years. So I see my community going and doing all this medicine work and I'm not sure if anybody is really changing. 
Right. <clears throat> and, and so for me, the way that I look at it is there's three pieces. There's knowledge, there's experience, and there's integration. So knowledge you can get from a book, experience you get physically in your body, and then integration is the merging of the wisdom from those two in, in through time. So, um, I talk about it and I'm like, look, I can, I can tell you all about ayahuasca. You can go read Michael Pollan's book. Um, but at the end of the day, nothing is going to help you understand it like doing it. Right. And so we understand that. I think that's, that's easy to understand. But then once you go and you drink from that cup, what do you do with the insight? And that's the integration over time. And that's what creates, uh, that's what shows you you've changed. I think the ayahuasca does a good job of changing you, but then what you do with it is what actually shows you you have changed. Um, and I, I see a lot of people going, the metaphor that, that I think works well is like they go and they dig a well and um, they just keep going back to the same well and they keep getting the same insight over and over again because they refuse to, to integrate it. Um, and so I'm big on that framework of knowledge, experience, and integration. Yeah, and <clears throat> I mean, I would say I think the integration portion is almost the most important, right? Without it, um, the knowledge and the experience just stay stagnant. It's mm -hmm. That's why they keep going back and keep going back because it, it, there's nothing... <laughs> right time time takes that experience and that knowledge and it fades yep it just drifts away unless you hold on and integrate it. i like that 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 easy three-step process and idea because i do think it's so uh, necessary you know i can look at my life i can look at my experiences and like the integration pro process if i can speak clearly um takes forever takes far longer than we would like it to, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the problem, not the problem, but I think that's the issue with um, just not enough patience. Yeah, there's a source of a lot of frustration. Yeah, where it's like I should be <clears throat> at this point and I keep doing this work and I should be here already. Why isn't this happening? Mm. And then going back for more and going back for more and going back for more instead of just like, okay, Let's just sit with it and let it fester and grow and evolve and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. What is the, uh, what's the, what's your longest running thing that has uh, been difficult for you to integrate? Like your biggest holdup that you keep kind of button up against and repeating and do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I can... I, I, I'm on the other side of one of the largest challenges in my entire life, um, which was my, my sexual relationship with my wife. And we met in July of 2016. In October, uh, we had an experience where, um, like, an one of her abusers from the past got brought into our lives in a very shocking and kind of like mind blowing way. Um, in that he was, he was leading a school that I wanted to go to. I had no idea that he was involved in her life at all. And, um, I was showing her, you know, I was like, oh, I'm so excited to go here and this is a program I want to apply to. And, and she just was like, holy shit, that's the guy who abused me. And that, um, you know, looking back, that was uh, a major shift in our relationship and a, and a major um, upheaval for her internally of this man that she had found and was sure, you know, in me that, that I was her husband and, um, all of a sudden got associated with that guy. And we spent two, let's see, 16, 17, 18, two and a half years unraveling that. 
Did you go to, uh, did you? No. You didn't go? No. Okay. I was like, no fucking way, no. Yeah. Um, and what about, uh, <clears throat> if you didn't go, what about just the recognition and acknowledgement that somehow that guy came back into your sphere uh, was, I mean, I understand. <clears throat> it was, it was right after a really beautiful and deep and intense intimate experience. Mm -hmm. So both of us were in a state of vulnerability and it, it, it was just stuff that she had pushed away and pushed down for a really long time. And then it was just like somebody hit her in the face with it and it all came back. And it was not necessarily just the, the abuse that this guy inflicted, but it was all the guys who had been aggressive all the times that, you know, she'd numbed out to hook up with somebody. Um, and just this realization of, um, you know, how, how, how that past had affected her. And so we spent the next two and a half years kind of in a place where that trauma would come up every time we tried to be intimate with each other. And um, it brought up my trauma. The first, the first girl that I ever slept with had been raped three months prior. And, um, and, you know, we'd start making out and she would send me out into the hall and just be like, I can't, I can't be with you right now. Um, or she would punch me, like literally just be like, can I, can I hit you? And she would just like punch me in the stomach multiple times. And, and I would just hold space and just give her all the space that she needed. And what triggered in me was, you know, when, when my wife would yell at me or get upset and that trauma would come back, I felt like the rapist. Um, and I hadn't done anything wrong. I, I was just there and, you know, now, um, <clears throat> now we're able to move through things so much, so much more clearly, but I was like getting a can of whoop ass opened on me for saying the wrong thing. Um, or moving too quickly or, you know, it was just like so hard for me. Um, and it got to the point where I had to be like, look, let's just stop. Like, I'm not interested in being in this place anymore with you. And so we were celibate for, for quite a while. And then we started to bring it back in. And, um, I just, I was in this place of like, man, I, I don't, you know, like we went through getting married and honeymoon and, and all of that with no intimacy, like very little intimacy. And <clears throat> when you say intimacy, you mean sex, right? Sex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and even, even me, like feeling my desire was like fearful for her. So even me like looking at her in a certain way, you know, as a, as a jujitsu practitioner, I went to a jujitsu class and I came home like fully in my masculine and just went, just like, uh, she was sitting on the bed and I crawl and I like, you know, walked up to her on the bed on all fours. And she was like, what are you doing? Like I'm here and I'm just hanging out you're bringing all of this fucking energy my way that I do not want. Um, and there were so many times like that where, I mean, I'd never, I'd never had an issue in the past with this kind of stuff. Um, and I knew it was healthy. Most of it was healthy on my part. Um, but there was this old trauma for me of, God, am I that guy who hurt uh, my first, my first girlfriend? Am I that guy? Um, and so I had to like work on that and, she had to work on her stuff and um, eventually got to this place where I was like, hey, I can't, uh, I can't be in a relationship where my sexuality is, is just destroyed and like non-existent. And I want to be married to you and I want to have, um, I want you to be my intimacy partner 
But if you can't be that, if you're not willing to do the work to be that, I'm going to go find someone else just for this, just for like every two weeks or so to like go and explore this part of myself and then come back. And for me, I can do that within our marriage and be happy. And like I said, I want that person to be you. But if you can't do that, then I need you to either change and work through this or um, we're going to have to talk about, you know, move, changing the relationship. And we didn't talk to each other for a few days after that. And then she came back. She's such a fucking fighter. She was like, I signed up for a therapist. I want us to read this book together. I want us to do this course together. Um, I'm committed to changing and I want to be that person for you. And I had this, I, you know, this thought kept coming to me of like, I can't blame her for her trauma. I can't blame her for what happened. Um, and I also can hold her accountable to work on it, to like do the work to unwind it and move through it. And as long as she is doing that work, I'm with her hundred percent. And, um, she continued to show up not only for me, but also for herself. And this year has, uh, we just blossomed and it's the best partnership I've ever been in. I feel like she has my back in so many, so many ways. Um, and she actually has started to show up more for my sexuality than I was, than I felt comfortable because I was just like, Oh, I don't want to bring this up and trigger that old, you know, I have, I have some, some stuff to work through of the past two years. And, um, and yeah, that's been such a beautiful journey. Uh, it wasn't in the moment, but now that I look back, like there's a lot of love and a lot of um, challenges that we went through together that I'm really glad that we did because now we have that in the bank, so to speak, to look at and go, we can get through this. Uh, I think it was earlier this year. It may have been, it was earlier this year. It was back in February. Um, my oldest daughter is in college and uh, she participated in the uh, vagina monologues that they did on campus and we went and watched and like it just it fucked me up for a long time afterwards mm. um sitting in that space not just watching my daughter up there but uh just the totality of all of it and uh i left thinking first off i went back and reanalyzed so many different actions and behaviors over the course of my life and how they affected everyone, right? Not just women, but also men. Um, but I was definitely focused on how my actions and behaviors had affected women over the course of my life, like through adolescence, through, you know, being a teenager and in my early twenties and all sorts of different stuff. And I never, like up until that point, I never saw, I think the entire picture of what women and like, I keep obviously it's not just women. Right. But in the context of, of course, the vagina monologues, that's <laughs> what they're focusing on. Um, the totality of what that experience is like for them to exist and move through this world. Hmm. Uh, like it was really, really eye opening for me. And I did have to go back and just look. And then some things came up of like, well, fuck that really sucks. Right. And I mean, it's let us down, like I said, it's back in February. So it's been, what is that, like six or seven months? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been really beautiful. The recognition that I got from it, the awareness that I got from it, um, and then like moving forward, how I can do better in those spaces and just overall how I move through the world today in different ways. And um, But I wanted to ask you, one of the things that came up for me as you were sharing the your wife going through this experience and you uh being like the trigger for her in a lot of instances and then having to look at yourself and be like oh god you know I, all those kind of different things that came up for you when you go back and look at your life right do you think because i think sometimes and it's not with every man but do you feel like there were things that you did 
growing up in your life that now looking back, right, hindsight's twenty twenty. are there some things that you can think of or bring awareness to that maybe you per- perpetrated some sort of traumatic experience or pain or discomfort um, on a grander scale than just like, do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> obviously we've hurt people over our life, just average everyday living people get affected by other people. But I'm talking about like bigger significant things that may not be super extreme on the end of like, well, I never sexually assaulted anybody, so I'm an okay person, right? Mm. But I'm talking all the little micro things that may or may not have been so obvious back in the day. Because we're how old are you again? 38. That's right. You're the February. Same age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a little older than you are. <laughs> got a little more wisdom. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> Six days. I love it. Uh, but yeah, like growing up, things was so different, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. You know, there's... There's a woman in my life uh, who was in my life when I was younger, who I met in college, who who just loved me, like unconditionally, a friend of mine, and um, I couldn't receive it, and I, I rejected it, and I was just like, I don't know what, what this is, um, you know, to the point where she called me to tell her that, tell me that her dad had passed away, who was a guy that I'd met, and hung out with. And I somehow managed to make that about me. Um, and I just, you know, like I, I, you know, at the time I was, I was so angry and I was so in myself and I so like didn't see what she saw in me. And so I kept rejecting that and pushing that away to the point where there were times where I was a fucking asshole. Um, there are other women and other sexual experiences that I've had that, um, yeah, where where I was aggressive and pursued something and pushed it until I got what I wanted. Um, and then, you know, th- there's also the flip side of like, I grew up very Christian. Um, I converted to Methodism when I was 16. And from 16 to 30, I probably rejected more sexual encounters than I had. Um, and I maybe, I maybe had three. Um, and so I, I just saw like what a, you know, in that space, I saw what a heartbreaking, challenging thing sex was. And I was like, uh, or relationships more so of just like, I don't, I don't even want to get involved. Like I'll let the struggle though. I remember thinking this of like, I'll let the struggle be in my head rather than need to play it out in the world. Are you talking about during that time period of like yeah. 16 to 30? Yeah. Um, but surely there are trans there's, there's things that I did that, that hurt people and I pushed people away. One of my core wounds is, is not feeling like I'm enough. And, um, I'm sure I, I also like, I'm struggling right now to show up for my parents and for my family and to, you know, my mom in, in this, uh, she was in the hospital last week and I flew down from New York to Dallas where they live and she ended up being fine. They, they like shocked her heart back into the right rhythm. Um, and she told me, she said, you know, if, if I had known that I was going to raise the three of you, I have a brother and a sister, and then I never get to see you. I mean, that's like one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life. And I, she never shared that before. You know, I kind of knew it. I kind of knew that she wanted more, um, more from us. But I also, my experience of those conversations is very surface level. And so it was hard to connect and it was hard to um, feel feel that vulnerability from her or to offer it to her because it didn't get modeled to me as a kid. And as I notice as soon as I'm vulnerable with my folks, uh, they give it back to me, you know, and, and I shared with them, uh, I, Aziz Ansari in his, in his latest comedy special that came out over the summer, 
he's, he perfectly describes the experience I have with my parents of like flying in on a Thursday, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and pack my weekend bag and we get up and we do breakfast and, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's a great bit. <laughs> it's such a good bit and he really nails it. And so I told my parents this time, um, and I was too, too chicken shit to do this the first, the first day. So I did it on the last night that we were together. And I said, Hey, we only have 20 or 30 of these left. My parents are both in their early eighties and I'm fine, you know, watching HGTV and going out to dinner with you and sitting and reading books with you or, you know, me working on my laptop while you read or watch TV. But I also want you to know, like, I want more and I think you want more. So I'd love to figure out, like, how do we make these meaningful? I know it's meaningful for me to be here and to, like, take the time and, and just be in your presence. But I also think there's more. Um, and that really shook them. You know, I could see the shock on their face. And I spent a lot of years angry at my parents because of what they didn't do. And really that was a scapegoat for me not doing what I wanted or not doing what I needed. So I'd be like, man, my parents, you know, my parents are both Scottish immigrants and we never talked about politics because they couldn't vote. And we didn't talk about, you know, I, I joke, I'm like, I never had Indian food or, or sushi <laughs> growing up. And then I went away and I was like, why didn't we have this, man? This is great. Where did you grow up? In Dallas. In Dallas. In Dallas. And, um, but there are certain things that my parents just like wouldn't do. My dad grew up, he was born in 1937 in Dundee, Scotland, and he got sent off to Octor House to live during the war with his grandparents and he would milk the cows and walk a mile up the road to give his grandmother milk. And then he'd come back and milk some for his house and walk a mile up the road. You know, it's just like such a different generation. And I kept being like, oh, I want to talk about meaningful stuff. Why doesn't my family talk about meaningful stuff? And the truth was I wasn't talking about meaningful stuff. And it was just a way to protect myself from getting vulnerable and sharing that I wanted those things. And, um, and now they meet me there. Oh my God. <clears throat> so you're blowing my mind to have that big of a age difference with your parents, right? So mm -hmm. if your dad was born in 37, then he was in his, he was 43, 43 when, was when you were born. That is a completely different generation, right? Like completely different generation, Yeah. which means when you come into the world, so this is my big, like, uh, it, it's not mine, but the idea that <clears throat> when kids are born into the world and on the planet, uh, wherever the world is currently vibrating, that's the vibration that they come in on. Mm -hmm. And by the time, you know, so now your dad came in on this certain vibration and that's the vibration that existed in the world. And then you came in on a very, very different vibration. Now, <laughs> all this shit's too big in my head, Andrew, trying to get it out. Uh, but I think about... Piecemeal it for me. Think, by the time you have kids, you're going to have that same gap, right? And so the things that we think are so important and so necessary, and you're going to do a better job of connecting with your child than your father did. You're going to do a better job of all sorts of different things, right? But because your child comes in on a completely different vibration than you did. They're going to frustrate the hell out of me. Not only are they going <laughs> to frustrate the hell out of you, but you're still going to have that dynamic where they can't connect with you. They don't understand you. Uh, they push back. They resist. All those things are taking place regardless of how good of a job we think we are doing with our kids. And I think it has to do a lot with just that base fact that they're, they're completely different vibration than we are. So it's challenging. So what's your experience of that? Well, there was, an kids. <laughs> there's another thing too. Like you talk about, um, your mom expressing to you how, uh, like how hard it is to not have you in her life more. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I feel that immensely, like immensely. That is one of the hardest things as your kids grow up Yeah, is realizing that that connection that you have with them. And it's not even because I always have the same, when I say the same level of love and connection with my children from before they were born, like I have that same thing, even though it has built an intensity and growth and everything like that. But I'm always connected with my kids, right? Regardless, but having the same physical contact, the same energetic exchange because of time and space and me being close to them and being able to see them and hug them and be mm. in their space. Um, that just immediately from the time that they're born, that just starts to grow. The gap that grows from the moment that they're born just slowly over time expands and expands and expands and expands until it's so huge when you don't get that connection, right? And that's all you want as their parent. Like literally all I want is just to sit next to my children. At this point, like whenever I see my 20-year-old, I'm like, I just want to hug her Mm -hmm. and then I just want to like stand next to her so that I'm physically like shoulder to shoulder contacting. I want to hold her hand. I don't care what we're talking about. I don't care what we're doing. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I just want to sit right next to her and be physically connected to her. Mm. And that's so painful to not have. But then I understand it from the perspective of like, I'm not super connected with my parents. Right. Uh, My mom lives like, five minutes away from me. Hmm. She still lives in the same house that I grew up in. We live three miles away from her. It's not hard for me to go and have time with my mom, but I don't. I understand the dynamic from the perspective of a child, right? Where it's, you have your own life, you have your own shit, you're living your own experience. You're making all of those connections with other people. So as, uh, as a parent with (laughs) as a parent with children, I have really had to, in the last few years, acknowledge how separate they are from me and have always been and acknowledge that their path, their journey, their life, all of their experiences that they've had their entire life, Mm -hmm. even the portions that I'm heavily integrated into are theirs. They're not mine. Right. They're theirs and theirs alone. And this life is theirs, their experience, everything, it's their own life and their own experience. And I am just a participant in their life. And so it's hard to let them go. It's hard to let that uh, distance continually expand. And it's challenging as a parent to be like, how do I, how do I, uh, cope, not just cope with it, but how do I work with it? Because mm. the struggle is always uh, my fear of them feeling like I don't love them anymore or that because I'm not reaching out to them as much or because I'm not as connected to them that somehow it's me withdrawing and not wanting to be in their lives anymore. Yeah, Because I've thought that from my perspective of a child, like with my father, where I've thought oh, he's distancing from me because he doesn't want to be a part of my life because there's something, do you know what I mean? Like that's a decision that That he consciously made. That he consciously made. So I don't want my kids to have the same thought in regards to, well, why this distance is growing. Oh, some dad must not like me or or I've upset dad in some way or do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the balance of trying to navigate, it's it's fucking hard Andrew. <laughs> it is fucking hard <laughs> it's so hard it's hard being a child it's hard being a parent yeah it's hard being human sometimes yeah. i'm excited for when you have kids though yeah me too yeah something something came up as you were talking that i i've learned was like there is there is a part of me um that I, that I call my Loki energy. It's like my mischief energy and kind of a rebellious and seeing what I can get away with. And what I realized... Straight up an Avengers reference, right? Straight up. Okay. Straight up. Um, and uh, one of my past lives was as a Norse. <clears throat> I'm 
student of, of Valhalla. Um, the I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I just got got excited about Valhalla, um, but I'll, I'm sure it'll come back. Anyway, the there was that, and then there's also this idea of like, and that's totally cultural. That's like a Western thing. If like I live, I have a good friend in, in Jordan and his dad built a compound for his family. And it was one big house with a courtyard in the middle. And it was uh, four apartments, top right, top left, bottom right, bottom left. Parents lived in one, son lived in another, other son lived in the other, daughter lived in the other. And it was like, you get to go and, and have your own space, but it's right next to us and we're all together. And that's maybe the, the truth for the majority of the world, you know, if, if not the strong minority of they stay close, they live with their families until their parents pass. And, um, and there is this tight knit community that I think in the West, we have so idealized individualism that we've decided to trade that for maybe it's growth. Maybe it's like a wealth of experiences that we get as individuals and as, um, and as sons and daughters, like we can go off to another country, we can go to off to another city and study. And then we have a job here, a job there. You know, I, I grew up in Dallas, but I lived in Philly for a year and went to Drexel. And then I lived in Switzerland for two years and I went to a university over there. And then I moved to Scotland and stayed there. And then I was in Dallas and then I was in San Francisco. And then I'm, now I'm in New York. And, um, and the same is true of my brother and sister, just like they lived all over. They had this wealth of experience. And, um, I think it, it teaches us a lot. Um, and it makes us not so precious about certain aspects of life. Um, this is something that the, you know, speaking, um, culturally, the the East and China and Nepal, India, places like that, keep tradition really well. This is something that the the monks there say is like, we know how to keep lineages for thousands of years. We know how to hold knowledge and make sure that it's passed from generation to generation, and not uh, not changed. You know that. If you if you believe it, uh, Goenka took Vipassana from Buddha, from the teachings of Buddha himself, and through generations and generations, you know it was it was uh, lost everywhere except for Burma, and then this businessman Goenka took it and created the Vipassana meditate ten day silent meditation retreats and um, a number of other pieces of that philosophy and brought it back out into the world. And that's something that the East does really, really well. And the West is really good at the remix, um, that we take all this wisdom and knowledge from all these different places. And we're like, Ooh, what if I meditate? I take this meditation from Hinduism. And then I take this breathing technique from somewhere else. And I take, uh, some juju from Africa and I take some, uh, you know, Catholic religion and we throw it all together and we create something totally new. Well, it's like the melting pot, right? Yeah. Yeah. From, exactly. From kind of the beginning of this Western civilization to a certain extent, it is that melting pot and the combination of all things. Mm -hmm. Now that's the way that it's playing out a lot where I am taking these different beliefs and these traditions and these ideas and throwing them all together and seeing what works for me. Um, and so I, bringing it back to, to your point about your kids, I wonder if, because uh, I feel this in my own heart and in my own desires of like, I want to go, I, fuck individualism. Like, I want to go back to being with my tribe and I want to go back to, I, I would love for my parents to live on land with me. Um, and I would love for my friends to also live there and my wife and my family and for us to co-parent and grow food. And, and I hear that from a lot more people now. So that's what makes me think, because as you were talking about this, I was thinking, what was the purpose of us shifting up from that way of living? Because mm -hmm. like you said, you know, prob I would say probably the majority of the planet still lives in that way, shape, and form, right? Yeah. In those um, tightly knit tribal family units type yeah. things, right? Where I was thinking about a friend of mine who lives in Singapore. He still lives with his mother, right? They still 
uh, are in the same apartment. Like that's very, very normal. Um, even though for, for, from our perspective, it might seem a little, you know, like strange and weird. But so I was trying to think of like, what would be the purpose of us evolutionarily speaking, making that decision as a consciousness to separate from that way of living and expand because it's expansion, it's evolution. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then it got me thinking about that exact thing where you hear more and more people wanting to go back to these small tribal communities and start building these spaces where they can live in closely knit groups, co-parenting, co-living, uh, with all sorts of different generations, right? If it is your family, wonderful. And if it's not, I'm going to make my own family out of all of these different people that I can gain wisdom and insight and live in those close proximity to one another. Yeah. So we're cycling back again into that space. And that just speaks volumes to my belief of evolution, but also just the cyclical nature of everything, right? That's a really good example in my mind of how it's just a cycle. It's just a will. It's just the circle of this is how we evolve is continually going through this evolution, mm. this cycle. And so, cause the opposite of close knit tribal communities are what we did. The opposite of it is expanding, growing, reaching out, right? Yep. Uh, living in Dallas and growing up in Dallas and then going everywhere else you possibly can, right? So I think that's just the cyclical nature of us as humans that we probably did that and have done that multiple, multiple, multiple times. And that's just normal. Yeah. And so there's, I, there's no one way that's right. Right. That, well, I don't or think it's... better. Yeah, I don't think it's right or wrong or better or worse. I think it's just the nature. And... Because I was thinking, well, what would be the purpose of the expansion? What would be the purpose of us separating from those tribal communities, from living so closely with one another? And I think it is what, in one way, shape, or form, probably like spearheaded a lot of growth and evolution as a whole. Think of all the technological advancements that took place because of Western civilization. And they may or may not have occurred had we continued to stay in those small knit uh, communities and tribes. Sure. And I, and I'm also aware of, um, that being my, so I live in Brooklyn in New York city right now. And that there is, uh, that's like one side of the pendulum of like big city life engine, fire engines and police cars sounding off. I live right next to a highway. I'm riding the subway every day with, you know, thousands and thousands of other people around me all the time that there's a natural kind of counterbalance that arises a desire for a counterbalance in me of just like, I want a fucking cabin in the woods. I don't even want electricity. Like I just, I want to be writing with a quill and some parchment by candlelight reading poetry. Um, and that there's, there's like a, a natural counterbalance that comes up that may not actually be what I want if I get it right. It, it only exists, that desire only exists in opposition to my current experience. And that probably the truth is somewhere in between. Exactly. Yeah. Balance, yeah. right? Where, yeah, we want to live off grid and we want to live in these places where we no longer have all of these things that are so frustrating and so annoying and seem so counter to what speaks to us. Right. And then it's like, well, maybe a little bit of electricity. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I would like to be able to flush the toilet every now and then. Yeah. And so I think it is the balance between all of those things. Totally. And I hope that, like, my hope is, because my wife and I talk about this all the time, where, like, if we found the capacity to have that compound, to build that place, to buy that plot of land and start our our own community mm -hmm. and bring in people that have similar ideas, and, like, we would be 100% not just on board, but, like, yeah, let's do that. That's so much better than what we have right now or what we feel we have right now. Yeah. You know, I would love to bring my kids there too. Like that would be amazing, right? Yeah. Totally unreal. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of this is that, um, for me is every experience I have changes, you know, what, I, what I want, um, or affects it, it affects it in some way. And so, 
rather than I love this quote from from Joseph Campbell of like, if you can see the entire path of your life, you're living somebody else's dream. And you got to go step by step with your own because every step you take influence you got to react and change and be influenced by what you learn after you take that step. And so it might be that we create that commune and we go live there and we're like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> after a while, right? It's I'm too sure. slow, right? Um, or like, I'm tired of fucking farming. Like I'm tired of having to deal with all the crops and this and that. And I want to put my focus somewhere else. And, and that's okay. Like that's totally fine. And, and I'll have learned from that. And, and there are these moments, I notice these moments in my life where, um, you know, we set up these if then, um, scenarios of like, man, if, if I could only live here, or if I could only make this much money, then I would be happy. And then I could accomplish this, then I could accomplish that. And um, it certainly sets up a mentality for us to not feel good. But, but also there's a threshold, or I think there's, there's something that happens when you reach those goals and you go, oh, that didn't work. Um, I got the big house. It doesn't make me any happier. I got the big paycheck. It doesn't make me any happier. And that there are studies that show this around like anything above, I think it's somewhere between 80 and a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Your life doesn't really improve your that much. Life doesn't really improve. Your happiness doesn't really increase. And, um, but there's some of us who don't believe it until we get there. You know, some of us are like, no, fuck that. Like I really need money. Like I need that, that lifestyle and it's going to make me so much happier. And, um, and, you know, sometimes you can read the lesson in the book and go, okay. And then sometimes it's got to hit you in the face. Yeah, there's so many things like that, right? We always think that the grass is greener on the other side. And then we get there and they're like, well, fuck, wait a minute. It's not, it's it's the same grass that I have over <laughs> there. <laughs> what the hell? You know, it's so frustrating. Yeah. So what is your best, uh, not necessarily like, like I'm not looking for like your tip or your what what is your best practice your best individual practice to counter that dynamic of if if this then finally I'll be happy like mm. what do you do in your own life um i really so the the buddha say right mind right action and that i notice um, happiness is available to me at any point I choose it. Um, it might be harder to get to in some points versus others, but that having some practice of coming back to a place of stillness and joy and contentment and fulfillment, gratitude allows me to, um, take the right actions that are based not in fear but in something else, you know, whether it's love or joy or whatever, hope. Um, what are you doing right now? What yeah. Is, what is that practice for you right now? So that looks like um, most mornings I do some form of exercise to get my body moving. I do breath work to clear my head. And um, that looks like maybe... Uh, five to 10 minutes of that. Um, Wim Hof is great. I have a modified practice that I learned from one of my mentors and, um, and then just future, like putting myself in the future where I have everything I want. Um, and just imagining what, what life will be like and bringing that emotion into the present, kind of similar to some of the creation journeys that we were doing yesterday here at, at Everyman. Um, but really getting in touch in, in my line of work in NLP, we say the end state energy is the energy that you need right now to take the next step. So the thing that you think, the feeling that you're going to get once you already accomplish the task is the feeling that you need right now to help you accomplish the task. And so I do my best to bring that into the present moment and just feel that joy. And sometimes it comes out as uh, dancing. Sometimes it's singing. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's just sitting there and smiling like an idiot. Um, and, and those are my favorite, you know, that's like just the best way to start the day. 
<clears throat> so I like that you said the feeling that you'll have when you get that thing, right? Uh, rather than like the concreteness of whatever that thing is or the steps to get to that thing. But it's really the feeling that you need to bring back to the present moment mm -hmm. and feel in this space now. I like that, that ring of so much truth for me. Um, and I loved the way that I just framed it in my head was for me, one of the things is, uh, that I love about this work with every man, uh, and just life in general is I believe that the reason, not the reason, but I believe emotions, I believe feelings are the energetic exchange that takes place. And it's, that's the, that's the vibration, that's the energy that exists, and that's how we uh, feel it, communicate to it, connect to it. Uh, that's our basic processing of energy from the universe is through emotion. Mm -hmm. And so I like the fact that we're bringing that energy from that moment back to this present moment, and that's how it's going to help us get to that space. My, my wife would tell you that this is how she found me. Yeah. And that she walked into a room, saw the back of my head and went, that's my husband, which sounds wild. Um, but that she had practiced so many times what it was going to be like to be in the same room with me, to dance with me, to fall asleep with me, to wake up next to me, that she knew that feeling in her body. And as soon as she met me, she went, it's there. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, I've never met another woman who was so certain that I was her husband. Um, and she's probably a good woman to focus on. <laughs> yep. Yep. She's an amazing, incredible woman. And, um, and yeah, the, the Joe Dispenza says that our thoughts are electric. Our bodies are magnetic. Our emotions are magnetic. And that through just picturing, thinking certain thoughts, allowing that to filter down into our bodies and feel those emotions, we create this electromagnetic field that starts to influence um, everything around us. Starts to influence and react to all the other electromagnetic fields of everything around us. Totally. Well, Andrew, thank you so much, brother. Yeah, man. I this really, is really great. appreciate it. Um, what's the best way for people to find you? Uh, reach out if they want more information because we didn't even get a chance to talk about everything that you do mm. but uh where can they go and learn more about that so i have a, a website called the subconscious way you go to subconsciousway.com um, i'm just andrew at subconscious way there's also a contact form there and uh, i do hypnotherapy over the internet and in person in new york i do energy work i do coaching um, and my background is in marketing for consumer electronics startups and go-to-market agencies. So I have a lot of um, experience in the business world um, that I bring and, and leverage in those spaces. So yeah, feel free to reach out, contact me. I would love to hear st stuff that landed for your audience and hear their stories. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. You got to get up early. You know, you got to meditate. You got to exercise. You got to like start your day in the right way. And it's like, some people don't. Yeah, <laughs> some people don't have to do that. So I see my community going and doing all this medicine work. And I'm not sure if anybody is really changing. We each kind of dance in and out of each other's lives to teach each other lessons, give each other experiences. And then we rinse and repeat. And we've been doing that for hundreds, thousands of years.